to another episode of Interdisciplinary Heal Well's podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. I'm Cal Cates. And I am Kathy Ryan. And we are joining you, as always, from Washington, D.C. and British Columbia, respectively. Uh, thanks for joining us for another rousing conversation with Smart Compassionate Human. Uh, we are still running our uh, competition, so if you write us a review and we read it on the show, I was going to say on the air, but that's really 1986. Um, if we read it on the show, uh, you will get to choose uh, between one of a variety of exciting prizes, the first of which is a 30-minute unfettered, unstructured conversation with uh, Cal Cates and Kathy Bryan. You can get an interdisciplinary mug, an interdisciplinary t-shirt, or the opportunity to talk with Rebecca Sturgeon and Janet Penn. The authors of Oncology Massage and Integrative Approach. Uh, so get out there, leave us reviews, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets that you are listening and why you're listening. And if we read your review, boom, you will be cashing in. So, as always, uh, we like to start the show with a little pun. I think you guys are going to like this one. It's a little sad. I lost my mood ring. Just, I don't know how to feel about it. Okay, that's really 1970s. It is, right? <laughs> Up in the way back. Uh, I had one of those. I'm dating myself. I, I totally had one of those. In fact, I probably had multiple of those because you do you just lose them and then you have to get another one. Well, and we have different feelings, different moods. So we need different ring for each of those. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like the eight ball. You look at it and you're like, that's not my mood. I need a new one of these. <laughs> Um, so, Kathy, what's happening in British Columbia? Is there anything that our listeners should know about your life or the world at this moment? Oh, well, we just had an election here in Canada and nothing much changed as far as that goes. We'll see what unfolds COVID-wise. Well, you don't want to know where we're at right now. It's uh, not very good. And then, of course, we have our ongoing things that we've been dealing with here in Canada. Um, and that's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we're going to need to have another free-flowing episode to just discuss uh, the many things that are uh, being revealed and mm -hmm, how we need to mm -hmm. use them to change where we head in the future. Uh, and I, I feel like, yet again, we're getting really good at this, Kathy. There's sort of a smooth segue into introducing our guest today. Uh, so uh, Exactly we'll what you. I was thinking. Were you? <laughs> So we'll, um, as always, let our guest uh, introduce herself and tell us uh, the amazing uh, career that she's had so far and sort of what she's doing now. But uh, we are excited to welcome to the show Dr. Gail Dinesh uh, and uh, joining us from New Mexico. So um, welcome to the show. Uh, we're so excited to have you with us. Thank you. I am very excited to be here as well. Uh, just looking forward to this conversation and to see um, how it goes for today. So thank you. She, Dr. Gail Dinechikon, Yinshia, Twitchitni Yinshla, Kia Ani E Bashishchin, Kachitni E Deshache Adokin, Hachitni E Deshanala. It's very important to introduce ourselves in, in our surroundings, especially in our home where I'm <clears throat> from and originally I'm from Chinle, Arizona, which is right in the 
middle of the Navajo Nation, and I'm I'm Diné. I'm I'm Navajo from 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 the nation. And it, our introductions are very important because for us we tell it, it's almost like a story because we tell our clans, and <clears throat> everyone who is Navajo has four clans because we have everyone has four grandparents uh, and we honor those grandparents and the first one we honor is because we are matrilineal is our maternal grandmother her clan which is my mom's clan which is my clan which i hand to my daughters and on to my granddaughters so it's all matrilineal so our first clan is our mother's clan um so that so once you state your clans then then we know when we're in an audience of of Diné people how we are related to each other uh, because i then may be the grandmother of someone or a sister um, because we may have the same clan even though we might not be actual sister, sister, blood, you know, the same mom, but in, in a sense we do. I mean, we have the same mother clan. So um, that's how I introduce myself. So every time I'm back home and even in the bigger world, it, it, it grounds me to remind me and others who I am and where I come from. So that's who I am. And I am a grandmother, which is very important, of a daughter, and a my daughter had a daughter. So that is very important that, that now I can carry that on because all of our property, if you will, um, all of our belongings, all of the things we have goes through my daughters and my granddaughters and on. So it's, it's a matrilineal clan. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we've been looking in our own organization at sort of how we even begin meetings and things. And there's so much pushback um, in our very, you know, capitalist sort of fast world. Like we don't have time for that. And it's like, we don't have time to not do that. But as people who aren't even practiced in that, I feel like we just show up with our sort of professional titles that doesn't teach you anything about the person that you're about to interact with. And I feel like it's another place where by raising up the voices of people who have been working with this for so much longer than we have as white people, um, it just, it's, it's another place where we have some work to do. <laughs> yes, I, I, I agree. I mean, when we um, have meetings, especially in our communities and um, it could take 30 minutes to an hour to introduce everybody. I mean, you almost have to give that much time for introductions because it's so important. It, it, it tells you how we are related to each other and where we're from. And, and any of that is a story um, along with another story. And I mean, you could go on <laughs> probably for days, but yeah. <laughs> So let's let's make it now 30 minutes to an hour for introduction. And yeah. it's very important. And that's how we slow down and 
think about the collective that is, you know, there for a purpose, whatever that purpose is, that, okay, I know that, you know, this person here is related to me or comes from the same area or, you know, then you have those connections, you make those connections immediately, especially when you have work to do or business, then, then you can get on with the business. Absolutely. So you have had a, a really fascinating career and I, I am sure that there are all kinds of things in the middle and that's what we're really, I mean, that's what we want to learn about. But I know that you were, I think when we met you months ago and I started reading about the work that you've done in health with the Navajo Nation and seeing that you served as the Surgeon General of the Navajo Nation. And I was like, wait a minute, like, wow, I, I don't think I fully appreciated what sovereignty means and that like that you really were heading up the healthcare infrastructure for the Navajo Nation and how does that what is that like in when you're in this in the United States and sort of how does it operate or not operate in uh in relationship to what we consider healthcare as not the Navajo Nation Wow. Well, that's probably, if not a chapter, then at least a book, you know, <laughs> or two. <laughs> I bet. Right. Um, well, let me just go back, especially for those who might be listening and say, "Wait, what? What does she do?" So, um, <laughs> I'm a family practice physician by education. Uh, you know, and that was a whole, you know story there uh, growing up on Navajo in the Navajo Nation with the Navajo Nation um, being and and you say nation you know that's that's so right away you say what I thought it was reservation or whatever you know that's what and there still are Indians or still you know and there's Navajo so you you even start to you know, unpackage all of this and start to think about, so what do you, what do you mean? So Navajo Nation, um, there's, there's over 500 and probably by now, I haven't, I haven't kept count, but about probably 570 um, tribes, nations, pueblos in the United States. Wow. So yeah, that, that's a lot. So recognized tribes from the federal government and we we honor this government to government relationship with the federal government and with states and in in some ways but it, it's really this this uh relationship with the federal government that we have um that's in the constitution and that also um, provides certain um, uh, I guess you know like health care everyone says we have rights to health care we is this a right well for native people it is written it is a right it is in the Constitution that we have a right to health care we have a right to education we have certain rights, you know, that are written by treaty um, because our land, you know, was um, taken from us, basically. 
And so because our land was taken, we have certain rights with the federal government to, you know, uphold our, our health care, our, our education, and to govern ourselves. And by that, you know, we have our own leaders, our own council, our own government that oversees many of our um, uh, services that are delivered to our people. Navajo Nation is the largest tribe in the United States with I believe the very the largest land base as well. So it's huge. You know, we we encompass parts of of uh, New Mexico, Arizona and Utah. So it's very large, very rural, um still without a lot of um services that everyone might be um privileged to such as running water, indoor plumbing, paved roads. Yeah. Uh, electricity, internet. So in some ways, um, you know, we, we survive and we thrive still. And when a lot of these things um, are not afforded to us, then it, it even becomes more of a, a challenge to address when we say equity whether it's health equity, whether it's social justice, whether it's all of these other, um, you know, things that everyone is fighting for, for us, it even takes even more because we have to course through years, hundreds of years of oppression and, um, you know, injustice and not living up to those treaties just as yeah you know healthcare being one of them so that's so it's it's in order to address things today in in what you had stated maybe what is what we're looking at today with either healthcare or access or pandemic or all of these other things we have to go back and look at the history and how we where we are today and how we got here. So understanding the laws, understanding um, how uh, we course through um, finding resources and, and addressing policies and laws that, that we ourselves need to um, create and develop for our people. So being a physician was always something I wanted to do um, it was hard. It was long. And you always have that. You always hear, especially from elders, come home, come back to um, provide your services for our people. Don't forget about us. And even though I didn't necessarily go back well i i did but you know by providing health care to individual patients it was nice to be able to 
I always say, put my finger on the pulse of an individual and get to know that individual, you know, actually touching and, you know, assessing or, you know, relating to a patient. Going back home was putting the pulse on the nation and the population and the people. And again, my relatives, all of my relatives of being able to not only embrace a patient, but embracing the nation. And that was part of being Surgeon General for Navajo Nation is embracing my relatives on a whole and how the health the health and well-being of of my relatives are and that's that's in that nutshell but there's so much in there so yeah absolutely well i'm curious about having having grown up in the navajo nation um how did you know you have an md and so <laughs> the perspective of allopathic medicine I would imagine is incredibly different from what you grew up with in terms of health and how to, how to be healthy. And I'm curious how you, how you reconcile that. And and if there are parts of it that you're just like, so I'm not actually going to incorporate this because what I know from how I've been raised, it, there are things that are more useful that aren't a part of the, the canon of medical school. Yeah, that, that's always the, um, the challenge, that's all, you know, and especially with, with, you know, I still see, I, I'm a mentor to many students as well, Native students who, who course through that health profession, and many have grown up as well on the, you know, within their, their home, wherever they're originally from. I always say I'm a product of Indian Health Service. Indian Health Service is the, is who provides health care for our people, um, uh, part of that that agreement with the federal government, and um, it was always uh, a challenge to to receive health care from there because many of the physicians and providers were not from there. You know, we always felt like um, you always hear about helicopter research. Well, also, you know, helicopter doctors coming in one, you know, and then leaving and you never see them again. So kind of the same thing. You never develop a relationship or, and even at that, um, I think just for them to understand uh, the culture, the, even just the um, nuances of, of a patient sitting in the room and not making eye contact. I was a teenager, went in, I don't even remember for what, sore throat, you know, whatever. And the doctor left the room and, you know, before there was electronic medical records, you know, the chart was left open there. So being this curious teenager walking over and reading my chart to see what he had written, you know, he wrote, um, uh, seems depressed, you know, not making eye contact, stoic, uh, you know, and I thought, really? <laughs> I'm depressed? Uh, I don't think, you know, and you certainly don't want to miss depression in a teenager, 
but you also um, don't want to miss call, you know, just without asking me or with, without going through, you know, some of those. So making an assumption, that's what I thought. And then I think that's probably what made me angry to say, I'm going to be, you know, what do I do? And that yeah. was being a physician, I I think. I mean, that was part of it. That's, that's just one, one ingredient in the uh, formula to becoming a doctor. And that was one of them. But it was, it was hard. It was, it was very difficult, you know, really trying to balance my culture with the culture of Western medicine, you know, to, you know, still having maybe this common goal of health and wellness, but very much different pathways to thinking about how to get there. And part of getting there for me was making sure that I, on the traditional Navajo side, not maybe not so much traditional, but on the Navajo side was making sure that I sought out my own medicine people, you know, because it's very taboo to be going into a cadaver lab. You know, that is something we just don't do. So, you know, being able to make sure that I'm doing things appropriately on, on my Navajo side that doesn't interfere with me becoming a doctor or later on my own health later on that, that perhaps this doesn't, that I haven't done something that could even potentially interfere with my own health. Yeah. So it's, it can be very, you know, it can be very, very um, challenging to course through this. And when you don't have, I mean, I went through medical school 30 years ago, so you really didn't have, you know, other other medical doctors there to kind of be mentoring you and talking about some of these things. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it, it was uh, a challenge going through med school, but also seeking my own um, balance through going home and getting that um, blessing, if you will, from our own medicine people back home. So that was, that was very important. That was, that was the door that opened up for me, literally the door opening into a cadaver lab. So just being able to go from this world into yeah. a world, into another world. So just even literally thinking about opening that door was, was something that you, you know, I had to do. Now, can you speak to, um, it's, it's interesting because I think I am guessing that our, um, non Navajo listeners, um, will sort of be making vague assumptions about the cadaver lab and, and how that might present an issue. Can you talk about what, what is the belief that would make that difficult and how, how did you work through that? And, you know, what are the potential, um, problems that would ensue and, and, really help us understand what, where do the worlds collide in that? Well, I, I won't necessarily go into 
into detail because I think sometimes also that we um, hold these things, you know, they're, they're sacred to us. So in some ways, you know, they're, uh, you know, being able to talk about this in order that I'm hoping that there are others out there who can, who can benefit from this, but it's also, you know, can be, can be very, it's very personal and very um, um, sacred to us and how we honor those who are, who have, who, who, who are gone, who have passed on. And especially right now, it's just a very, um, difficult time because of the pandemic, because of, you know, people we have lost. So, so really honoring those who have, who have passed on is important. And there's certain, um, rituals and, and ceremony around that, that we just, you know, leave for our medicine people, for others to, to, to deal with. But, you know, I'm not, I wasn't the first doctor <laughs> to go through Navajo doctor to go through, um, cadaver labs and, and I'm not the last, there are many, you know, there are some before me and many have followed. Um, it really is a, a personal journey. It's how each one of us deals with this. And, and even individuals who are non-Navajo, certainly, you know, it's not normal to be, you know, dissecting a cadaver. That's just not, <laughs> it's just not, you know, it's, it's very much a privilege. It's very much um, an honor. It's, it's, to me, it was just a profound respect for being in that environment. You know, some of my medical student um, colleagues, you know, there's 75, 100 students in your group and you're, and you have smaller groups of say four with one cadaver and you've got a big room of, you know, then break it down. And those times and it's and it can be stressful i suppose but in some of those groups you know you could see how people would and i don't know if that's how they were dealing with this or not or if it was just their immaturity on um you know laughing or you know making jokes and things that i thought were very inappropriate and i would always focus and keep my group and I would I talk to my group beforehand and letting them know my thoughts and feelings and you know after this uh anatomy course that we all have to go through they were you know they they were very grateful for saying you know it really allowed us to be in the moment of what we were doing and focus on on what we were meant to to be and and what we were meant to do in this in this to me holy environment because not everybody gets to be in this in this room in this situation 
And so being in the moment, being there, being respectful. And for me, it was just almost like prayer, you know, being there to just to be um, fully engaged. And what I think for me anyway, again, this very personal coming out of it was just being so much more aware of my own body and myself and how my own body reacted and worked and um and to this day i mean i'll feel something here and i feel it another place in another part of my body and i just just being so aware of your because not always do you feel again that sensation of your clothes you know your your shoes being on or off or whatever but you know just being much more aware of that even just the tactile sensations and and the sensations going through your body and and getting a sense of where's where is that coming from or what is that or how does that affect me so it not only the the spiritual part but just the very personal part of of this was very much um who i am today i guess yeah now, when you, uh, I remember reading an article, uh, and I, I don't, I don't think you were interviewed for this article in um, April of 2020, and you were talking about COVID and and how the Navajo Nation was dealing with it, and that you know there were things about the, the sort of plan that was put out by the U.S. government that that didn't work because of you know, like you said before, infrastructure, like there wasn't running water, so the idea of washing your hands regularly wasn't possible for many people and and that there is there are generations of people living in a single dwelling and that that is a very i mean culturally that is how many people in the navajo nation live and you're not going to split these people up so um how did you go about because i think i remember you telling us that you all actually really took control of the situation and that the navajo nation is actually kind of embarrassing the rest of the U.S. in terms of how successful you've been with vaccination and kind of managing the pandemic? Yes, well, um, I I currently am not in the role in Navajo Nation now as Surgeon General. So when I served as Surgeon General, this was pre-pandemic and it was, you know, uh, back in 20. 11, 2013, 14. So those, so that was back then. But yes, um, I think again, part of it is, and, and our current president, uh, president Nez, Jonathan Nez and the, um, department of public health. We have, well, we have our own department of health within the Navajo nation and within that department, we have a division of public health. So again, we have our 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 infrastructure within the government to be able to respond in somewhat similar um, that we think of in the state having a public health department or the CDC at the federal level or whatever you know these the infrastructure is so for the Navajo Nation um, luckily we yes we have a department of health and and a division of public health with very um, competent uh, well um, educated and and knowledgeable people working in in these areas 
with with a lot of with years of experience so it was just it was just wonderful plus the other side of it is being navajo governing our own um people departments utilizing resources and and working all together with the states with the with the federal government with um you know a lot of um ngos who came to to help as well so it was very um much a concerted effort but um i think that sovereignty piece again is that with many tribes tribes are able to especially you know the leadership make policy right then and there for the good of the people if there's a mask mandate there's a mask mandate if there's vaccination for there's vaccination for you know it yeah yes there will be some that you know still will say but i don't think it's to the level of where we're at with the general population in the united states today i still believe that we have the best interest of our people our relatives that i just talked about you know that our relatives are so important you know we've been through this before unfortunately you know we we have the genocide the first sin yeah is genocide yeah of our people and so that trauma that understand you know we've and you know so pandemics of smallpox you know endemics of smallpox within our own people um yeah. and utilizing as a bioweapon against our people so so we've been through some of this before and we are still here so we come away with that understanding that we are strong we're resilient we're here to protect our most precious which are our children and our elders because our elders hold the language they hold the knowledge they hold, they hold once one elder goes that's a whole library yeah that's a whole you know dating ourselves you know the whole britannica dictionary the whole britannica encyclopedia yes. you know <laughs> you know that's um that goes because all of our knowledge is spoken and that is even more difficult because then you have to speak it you have to listen and translate and carry it on to the next generation today you know this podcast will probably be here forever as long as there's an internet and as long as you know the, <laughs> you know as long as things are still working but um our 
our lang our knowledge is dependent on the language and once a an elder is is gone or past passes or you know someone with that knowledge is gone then that again it 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 really disrupts our whole way of life and that for us i think has been very um much the message to get across to say get vaccinated you know wear a mask don't travel and it is hard i mean yeah but we've dealt with these challenges and much more and it and it's been our ancestors if we can think about it who went through much more hardship than what we have seen today our our ancestors went through so much for us to be here today and we have to think that what they gave up for me and my daughters and granddaughters and all to be here and and all the others what i'm give what we give up today is just you know a small part that we each can play to make sure and ensure that we will be here for those next generations and beyond and i'm i'm hoping that that's what 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 i believe is what our navajo nation and other nations other tribal nations have um have come away with I think for me, one of the most, well, certainly the loss of life with COVID, but one of the other most disheartening things to have observed, not only globally, but within our own community, is the profound lack of consideration for each other um, that we've seen throughout this process. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned genocide and um, the the history of that, not only in the U.S. but in Canada too, because of course the, both of these countries were built in the same colonial type of construct, so that is there. Um, it written right in documents here in Canada, we we see mention of the smallpox blankets. It was deliberate. This was not an accident. That you know, as you said, biological warfare that was exacted on Indigenous people. Um, people traveling to remote communities when remote communities were asking people to stay away, like Haida Gwaii, which is a, an island off the coast of northern BC, in the beginning of this, pleading with people, please don't come here right now. We, we need to protect our, our knowledge keepers. Uh, we need to protect our elders who carry the language forward because we don't have many people speaking the language anymore. And just a lack of blatant disregard for that was just... I can't say that I'm shocked, unfortunately, but so disheartened by that. So thank you very much uh, for speaking to those, those piece, pieces, Dr. Dinesh Shukong. Thank you. Yes, those, um, we had the same thing. We had to, you know, it's very, Navajo Nation is large and there's many, there's many in, ins and outs to the Navajo Nation. And it was hard to close down the nation for some of the smaller like pueblos you know they they may have just one in and out and it's easy for them to actually just actually literally lock it down 
Um, but for Navajo Nation, you know, it, it was putting out a message because we we have a main road that goes from Arizona to U into Utah and Montana and you know up up along. You can get to Canada from there. Um, also, just having the 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 you know people wanted to get away. Well, let's go to Canyon de Chelly. Let's go to Monument Valley. These places are very remote and isolated, and so you still had a lot of tourists going through. Um, you know, these areas and the Grand Canyon just is right, you know, abuts our nation. So, yeah, we had to be um, vigilant about, you know, telling people not to come, as you had stated. I wonder if you could um, comment on the, uh, my assumption is that the governance bodies in the Navajo Nation have the trust of the people. And I feel like so much of what is broken in American culture is that trust has been destroyed and that we we continue to try to just move forward without trying to repair the the totally earned mistrust. And um, when our government says everyone needs to get vaccinated or there's a mask mandate, there's just a a general lack of like, well, you know, the government has harmed us before. And so... Um, why should we do this? And I wonder if I want to believe that the reason that that doesn't happen as much in the Navajo Nation is because the government has done what it was said, what it said it would do, historically speaking, and and that its actions have demonstrated a clear commitment to the the well being of the people. Um, but maybe that's maybe I'm making that up because I want to believe that someone knows how to do this. <laughs> I I wish that I could agree with you as well, but unfortunately, um, yeah, I I I wish that that we had you know the answers and that we, you know we were all um, happy with our government, just as any government. I mean, it's you know we don't necessarily have a traditional government it is modeled that you know we have three um what is it three systems or whatever in our in our you know we have the the executive the president vice kind of okay. you know like like the US so yeah there are there will be people who say well I don't agree with the you know our president and and then we do have a council you know sort of like the congressional you know they they are elected by our um chapters so we have the council and you know they're not there for life they're not a traditional um, lifetime appointments and then we have um you know we do have the the judicial you know we do have um our own court systems and uh within the navajo nation so we we it's that three-pronged government system that we have as well i think I believe, though, that and so, yeah, you have people who disagree and who just say, you know, they're they don't. Fall. And as long as you have a lot of our policies that follow federal government guidelines, because we have to stay within those guidelines in order to receive the funding, you know, that becomes a. I know that becomes a big, you know, OK, so who's really pulling the strings here? Who really is in control? Yeah. So, yeah, it. it it can, you know, it can be very um, difficult and challenging, uh, you know, 
to be in those spots, but I always feel that that if our leaders, whichever whichever part of the government you know they're in, can always know enough about, of course, our history and our knowledge and our culture and the language, and relate it back to again who we are and our culture and our history and our way of life you know to make sense of that and to to bring that together in some ways with how we deal with today and all of these policies and you know dealing with with multitudes of of entities out there then um and always really speak from the heart that they are in the true best interest of the people then then yes i have hope that that that's what is happening and and i feel that our leaders are there for that i mean that's i i i can't believe that there would there would not be somebody there who's who's not interested in our people and only there for the position or you know and that's not a whole lot of money either so there can't be that <laughs> But, you know, it, 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 I, I believe there are good, you know, that it is good, but it, it's, it's, it's not set up, I think, just because of, of how you have the involvement of the federal government in there, that it's not the best system either. Um, so you will, so you have to learn what those are, especially in those positions and how to, again, exert that sovereignty, exert that, that this is how we do it. Why can't we do it, you know, like this? Why do we have to, um, you know, follow these guidelines when we can do this? So there's a lot, you know, so there's, it's, it's a very, um, interesting way to look at how a government within a government a nation within a nation is operating so it's um it's a very unique situation you know it's it's it it i suppose it's almost like a state but not really because you have to you know think that well they all we can also exert you know, our government to government relationship with the state and, you know, do things within our own jurisdiction of our lands for our people. So it it, it can be very complicated. I am not, you know, <laughs> an attorney. I'm not in the <laughs> area, you know, I don't, you know, look at a lot of those things, but around the policy and health policy issues. Yeah. You know, when you deal with, um, you know, when I was out there with Navajo nation and this was back. So there was first of all, hantavirus, which was, you know, decades ago. Yeah. And then, um, certain outbreaks on Navajo nation, you know, what infectious diseases was that in the past, you know, CDC would just come in and start doing, you know, poking around and bringing their moon suits and, you know, people dressed, you know, like, what, what, who are these people? What's going on? It was like, wait a minute. It needs to be the Navajo nation government to government requesting from the CDC 
your presence to come on to Navajo Nation and help us help us figure let's work together in partnership yeah. to figure this out and where's you know why are people dying suddenly from this disease and what is this what's going on where is it coming from well if you had originally just asked our medicine people they would have told you there's a little mice <laughs> running around here that you know there's an abundance this year of mice you know look at that you know it's like we so um same with other diseases is is really just not having the cdc come on their own terms but that they work together in 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 concert with navajo nation and invited by the navajo nation to come so as a healthcare provider and as a massage therapist one of the things that is so drilled into us in our education and training is consent mm-hmm and I'm always, again, I can't say that I'm shocked, but I'm just <laughs> flabbergasted by continuous stories of just how there's just a blatant lack of regard for prior and informed consent mm-hmm. in, in healthcare. You know, so for the CDC to come in, you know, when consent is so legislated within healthcare, you would think the people, sort of at the top, as it were, would understand what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it it really sets you up if you don't get that consent off the bat. I mean, even just to, you know, when I'm seeing patients, for me, even just to touch somebody, you know, I ask them, can I examine you? Can I look, you know, can I touch you? Um, it's, you know, I don't just start going over and, you know, pulling up someone's shirt and listening to their heart. You know, it's like, um, you know, there, there's, there's, again, that in the moment, the respect, the whole, you know, going out and, you know, making sure that, that you've um, communicated that, that this is a relationship, either personal relationship with your doctor or patient or relationship with your family, relationship with the community, relationship with, you know, the government or whoever that you're, you want to strengthen those relationships and communications and respect are, you know, like you said, the consent is just one of them is to, is to be, I mean, it's not just the, you know, how do you want to be treated kind of thing, you know? so you know treat me like you know you would want to be treated or whatever so the same with those bigger relationships with um whether they're government to government relationships or community or whatever same same principle <laughs> we i think we often forget that because sometimes the big the peop, the ones that have the money are the ones that have the big stick and come in and say what they want to do or how it should be done or whatever. Yeah. Well, and there's, I feel like there's still such an assumption of um, we're smarter, um, you know, than whoever it is that we're quote unquote helping that, you know, the idea that we would co-create a solution that's rooted in the culture where the problem has emerged. uh, We're so far from considering that and our, our addiction to, 
uh, urgency and speed of action, it, it sort of culturally prevents us from doing what what would bring things back to a place of collaboration and cooperation. And um, I feel like that that is another place where, you know, we keep saying, even to massage therapists, we keep saying, like, you can participate in shifting the culture to this kind of slower pace that allows for introduction of your clans and that in fact I can't you know we talk all the time about how if if a person's intake takes 20 minutes and they quote unquote only get 40 minutes of massage that 40 minutes is way better than if I rush through the intake and say well let's just get you on the table because now I know more about you Mm -hmm. and I feel like when we get macro and we talk about how to like save a society from a disease, we forget all those things that, I mean, we're still, our chops aren't very strong in our interpersonal relationships, but it somehow doesn't occur to us that the things that help us feel more connected individually would make such an impact if we brought them to bigger picture interventions and relationships. Um, Yes, I, I, totally agree with that it's um it's it's so important to 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 set the table yeah (laughs) literally yes the appropriate whatever you're gonna serve you know if you need a bowl put the bowls down you know we don't need bowls we just need plates you know i don't know but you know it's it's a preparation it's a preparation of a and and almost and and what and everything that goes into it so and it it is hard to be thinking of well when you start to think of the cultural considerations do we you you know do they use spoons do they you know do we need to pray before you know whatever so that's when you start to think about the cult you know even those the cultural pieces into just sitting down such as a meal you know, or, you know, what's appropriate for, for this setting and relationship. And that's, you know, going into, into those, those bigger pieces of when we deal with, with, with community or governments or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's making sure you've got the setting right. (laughs) So if there was, if there was one thing and if you have more than one thing certainly we won't limit it (laughs) that you wish (laughs) that non-indigenous people knew or did that would help us be part of the solution to kind of bring us together improve health access sort of how can we be part of undoing the harm that we've done and participating in a collaborative way wow um well, I think, first of all, I think listening is is so important. I mean, it's just, you know, listening more than speaking, which is hard to do um, or can be hard to do, especially if you feel you've got a lot to say, which a lot of people feel that. And especially <laughs> when people are angry, you know, when, when you're angry, it's like, and today people are angry. A lot of people are, everybody's angry. So I think first of all is just listening. I think the other is that um, <laughs> part of it also is, geez, being in, in academia for me, you know, I was, uh, I'm a, 
an academia and professor is that yeah, I came from the reservation. I came from Navajo Nation. I was pretty shy. Um, yeah, I didn't make eye contact. And that's, of course, one of the things, you know, you're supposed to do is make eye contact. And you're supposed to shake hands with a really good handshake and all of those things. Yes. And yeah, they're, and those aren't just cliches. Those were true, you know, especially when you're doing surgical rounds with the, you know, old um surgeon who's a white male and he's you know done this forever and this is how you're supposed to you know so you it's a whole different culture so okay i i'm in i'm in the same boat as everybody else i'll listen be quiet i'll be i'll be i'll do what i'm told to do and because i'm a student because i'm a resident because i'm a junior faculty now because i'm an assistant professor you know, so you go in these ranks and you start going up, but then there's this threshold of, you know what, now I am here or here as you, you know, mentor, doctor, so-and-so, whoever it is, but you know what, don't tell me about, you know, dealing with communities and coming from rural areas and coming from inequitable access to healthcare when, and you, you know, grew up in New York city, <laughs> you know, or right. whatever. Yes. Um, I have now come to a place that I've, I'm, I'm there. Ask me about inequity. Ask me about those social determinants. Talk to me about the, have me talk about this to the students. Yes, you, you developed, yes, you mentored me. Yes, you wrote the early book, you know, 50 years ago on, you know, access to health, <laughs> but you can't write the book on growing up in Navajo Nation without any of that and now coursing through this. And and I am here now when it comes to that. We are equal now, but maybe because I'm, I'm a woman, maybe because I'm brown, maybe because I didn't, you know, I'm still here. Right. And you're still here up yeah. here. Right. With all the accolades, with all the, you know, recognition, with all the, you know, and I'm here below you somehow still below still you know trying to um and not that i you know want to be up there either that's not but that's not my goal but but you'd like your voice to be up there but the principle but, of inequity that's the that's the inequity when yeah. that inequity still exists in those what do you call them? Microaggression. What do you call right. them? That, that institutional, you know, all of these things we put, you know, systemic racism, these institutional, you know, that are still set up to look at women, mm -hmm. to look at, uh, you know, people of color and, and say, so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, um, she's native. Let's, let's pull her out on native day and, you know, make sure that, you know, we have our native doctor here. Yeah. Or let's when token the it up. Come, 
yeah, when the tribal leaders come for, you know, um, to consult with, you know, us, then let's make sure Dr. Danette is there because she's our only, one of our only native faculty here. It's like, well, okay, why am I only one of the only native faculty here? Right. So even that yeah. is like... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So it so those are, you know, st- step back and look at that big picture. You know, just just when we when we talk about these things because I think people still say, well, even in our own state, there's no systemic racism in our schools. There's no, you know, institutional racism here, you know. And I but it, again, it's mostly white males saying that. Older yeah. white males. Which takes us right back to the audacity of the beginnings of Canada and the U.S. and the landing on a rock and sticking a flag in it. And therefore, we have the right to take land and eradicate people. You know, it all goes back to that beginning, which for me has been part of the very important journey of decolonizing myself to really understand the history of the country that I live in and understand the history of, uh, you know, uh, settler and indigenous ancestors um, in this country. So, yeah, it goes back to that audacity. And again, we often assign that to white men because that's unfortunately often the case of just, you know, go find a corner. And if I mark this corner, then it's mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, I don't have, you know, easy answers, but just um, recognize me for who I am and what I've gone through. I have gone, you know, just, um, I, I think that's, that's part of it, but not, not so much that, you know, I want, you know, anybody, I don't want people Sort of, oh wow, you know, she did that, and she did it. it it's not that. It's just I have I come from a certain knowledge base. I come and built upon that, and um, yeah, ask me. So, but and 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 put it on an equal footing as everybody else, and don't change the rules. Absolutely. So. Well, I'm really excited that um, Dr. Dinesha Khan is going to uh, teach us about flexing your sovereign muscle uh, at our Just Care uh, Social Justice and Healthcare Conference coming up in October. And uh, we are, of course, grateful to our sponsors, Care First, ABMP, Books of Discovery, and the Haney Conference on Compassionate Care. Um, we are definitely getting some registrations piling in and uh Dr. Dinesh Khan is going to be another one of the truth tellers at our conference who will hopefully uh, inspire our uh, attendees to go out and uh, make some change and tell some truth and see what we can do to blow up the systems that don't work and create better things. So thank you for the generous gift of your time today and also with us in October. Thank you so much. It was, um, it was great. So I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to, uh, um, I guess 
working out to get that muscle going. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we hope I'm to see you all. Yet. No, actually, that's right. You can't just stop working out. You got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got you to work out all the time. You, you, you stop and it gets flabby. So let's keep going. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. Yeah. Use it or lose it. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you all for being with us. Uh, get out there and like us and share us and uh, use the social media might to spread the word. And we'll see you in October at the Social Justice Conference. Thanks. Right. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can... Send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.